that he used to get to Christians. And he had envy and lust and deceit and fornication. And he had them all marked with a price tag. But then on a separate table, at a much, much, much higher price, he had another tool. This tool was very well worn, much more so than the rest. Like I said, it had a higher price. Well, someone came to this yard sale and asked the devil about it and said, what is this tool over here? Why is it set apart? And why is it so well, well used? And why is it priced higher? Well, the devil said, that tool over there, that's the tool of discouragement. And you see, that tool is my most used tool on Christians because it can get even those Christians who would never consider doing anything else that I try to throw at them. It can reach deep in the heart of Christians who are very well-versed in the Word, Christians who have really loved the Lord and worked for the Lord. It can just reach right down in there and big, build a big old hole in their hearts. It's so valuable to me. Like I said, that story is not in the Bible, but I think we can see its truth in it. That discouragement is a tool that the devil can use in us to make us lose hope, to make us stop working for the Lord, to make us have a poor influence on others. The definition of discouragement is a feeling of having lost hope, or confidence. Let's read in a few places now where we can see this example in the Bible of people who, just like us, may have experienced discouragement. The first example is Jonah. In Jonah 4.3, this is where Jonah has finally obeyed God. Jonah has gone to Nineveh. Jonah has preached. And the Ninevites have repented. God has spared them. But instead of being happy, Jonah's feeling discouragement. Now note, discouragement can come in all forms. It can be for, for righteous reasons, and it can be for reasons that should not be. And I think Jonah here is a good example of that. Jonah in 4.3 says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. How discouraged he felt then, because he didn't, he didn't think the Ninevites were worthy of being saved by the Lord. The next example that we can read is in 1 Kings chapter 19. Why don't you go ahead and turn there with me. 1 Kings 19. Here we're reading about Elijah. And if you think about Elijah's life, man, he has really, he's seen the power and the glory of God. He has been around so many times when God has shown how wonderful he is and how much he can truly influence our lives and, and what he can do to really have that great impact but here, Elijah is discouraged. After the showdown between the Baal worshippers and angering King Ahab so much that his wife, Jezebel, is convinced that she wants to see him dead, Elijah has run off to the wilderness, hasn't he? He just couldn't take it anymore. And let's read in verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he, might say, that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. How discouraged Elijah 
must have been there. Next in Ezra 4.4, if you want to turn in your Bibles there, we can um, actually going to be visiting this again. But here, the people of Judah are discouraged from rebuilding the temple. In 4.4 we read, Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building. And the people were so discouraged that they stopped for 16 years. What an influence discouragement can have on us. Some of the other dangers of discouragement. Discouragement can lead to selfishness. When we're discouraged, sometimes we just think about ourselves. We think about how we feel, how that discouragement is making us sad or making us not want to do things. And and we can fall into that pit of poor, pitiful me. Discouragement can cause our guards to be lowered because we are so focused on ourselves and our discouragements. Sometimes it can be hard to resist temptations when we're discouraged. Discouragement can lead to anger. I don't know if I have ever had a more frustrating experience in my life than trying to fix printers, computer printers. I'm a very tech-savvy person, but it is something about computer printers that is very difficult for me to fix. Either the ink toner's not working, the roller's not working, there's a jam, the computer connection's not working, and it always leads me to be very discouraged. But what happens after that discouragement? I get angry, and that anger sometimes can carry on throughout the day, and I know that's such a silly example, but if... Think about the fact if if I can get so discouraged and angry by just fooling around with a printer, how much more so can that carry over when it comes to spiritual matters? Discouragement can cause a careless tongue. Again, we're we're experiencing selfishness. We're experiencing our guards lowered. We're just going to say what we want to say because we're discouraged and it doesn't matter. Discouragement can also lead to us giving up giving up hope, giving up the desire to work for the Lord, giving up the desire to want to be around other people, especially those people who may have caused us that discouragement. Discouragement can lead to us becoming discouragers. I don't know if you've ever been around someone who is discouraged, but it is hard for them to keep that in, and that influence can sometimes rub off on other people. And most importantly and most gravely, discouragement can lead us to leaving the Lord for all of those reasons that I previously said, but also because when we are discouraged, many times we seek comfort, which is right to do, but a lot of times we seek it in outside sources. We seek it in affirmation from people who may not should be giving us affirmation. We seek it in food. We seek it in entertainment. We seek it anywhere that we can get it except God. You know, in John 14, verse 1, when Jesus is praying here before his death, he is saying, he, well, I'm sorry, that's a different passage that we'll get to later. But in John 14, verse 1, he is telling the disciples, and this is before his death, he is telling them, let not your hearts be troubled. And think about how much he, sh- he would have known 
the discouragement would creep into them. I mean, can you imagine being one of his apostles or his disciples at the time and following him around and teaching him and loving him and how discouraging it must have been to them to watch him die? He's telling them right here, don't let your hearts be troubled. But how? Everything that we've just said, some of it seems scary. Okay, discouragement. I get it. I get it. It's bad. It's going to really cause a spiritual rift between God and myself. But how do we take it to the next level? How do we let not our hearts be troubled? So here's, here's where the practical gets in, but we're also going to look at a lot of Bible in this because there are examples in the Word where we can see how people, how God's people overcame this. So, first of all, when we're trying to overcome discouragement, let's try to figure out the bigger why. What is going on that is causing our discouragement? If you will, go ahead and turn over to Nehemiah. And this is the same instance that we read about earlier in Ezra, but we're going to read about it in Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to read, let's see, verses 1 through 3 here. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, will he break down their stone wall? Wow. What discouraging words. Have you ever let words discourage you? It really doesn't take much, does it? I know certain personality types can get discouraged by words. Some, some people say, Oh, it doesn't bother me, and maybe it doesn't, but I know me personally... Even just one little sentence said the wrong way, I can take that in and it can discourage me. And we'll talk about how maybe we can get past that later. Let's go on, jump down to verse 10 in Nehemiah 4. And let's see another reason why they could have been discouraged. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. Do you ever get just tired? Tired of it all. Tired of the criticism, but also just tired of everything going on. and Tired of putting forth the effort and not seeing the results. They were tired here. We can get tired too as Christians, definitely. The last part of that verse in, chapter, or in verse 10 says, By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Here they're making a declarative statement that says we can't do it. We're not going to be able to do it. Have you ever lost your confidence? And thought, you know what, I'm, I've tried this before. Where there's just too much. I just, I, I can't do it. I just can't do it. These are all reasons why we can just get discouraged. And you may be able to think of other reasons as well. But I really, really encourage you to think of why. If you are experiencing discouragement, go through this list. Dig deep inside of you. Figure out what the core issue is that's causing you discouragement. And try to work through that. Don't accept it. Because as I said earlier, that is one of Satan's tools to get us to try to not make it here. He wants to get us any way he can. And if it's going to be that little tiny tool of discouragement, he's going to do it. So for example, if you have problems taking criticism like I do, 
One of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard was to consider criticism like a letter. And you can even write it down if you want to. But if someone says something harsh to you, pretend like it's on a piece of paper. Read that piece of paper, examine it. If it's all rubbish, then pretend, take that paper in your mind, your physical paper, pretend like you were just balling it up and throwing it into a fire. It's gone, it's done, never to think about again. Now maybe there's some words of truth in that. Mark out the rest, because we know that sometimes criticism is delivered with, with harshness, but there's some truth in it. Mark out that harshness, rewrite it to where it's actually useful, and then throw away the harsh words. Try not to let it get to us, because again, that's devil's, the devil's tool. Weariness. What if you're weary? What if you're just tired? It's okay to take a break in certain ways. It's not okay to take a break and step away from the Lord's work, but it's okay to step into the Lord's work in a different way. Let's say you're just tired. Maybe you have taught a Bible class every Sunday morning for the past 25 years, and you're tired. It's okay to take a break from that. Say, maybe, maybe you can step into the nursery and maybe you still, you know, you love kids, so you can watch the babies in the morning, do the cradle roll in the morning. Maybe that's easier than the fifth graders that you've been teaching. Or maybe you want to take a break from teaching for a semester or quarter, and that's okay. It's okay to take a break as long as you're intentional about it and you're not taking a break from Christ. And I think that's where some people get confused, is, is they say, I want to take a break from the church, and then they stop coming to services and they stop serving in other ways. We all have other talents, so if, if you need to switch from one talent to another so that you can rest, it's okay. It's okay. What about loss of confidence? I know sometimes, especially as a mom, I go through this where I feel like, you know, my day has passed and all I've done is wash dishes and maybe kept kids alive. And that doesn't make me feel good. I mean, it should. I'm glad I kept my kids alive. Don't get me wrong. But I don't feel empowered and confident. I remember right after I had my second child, our little boy, I was going through a lot of anxiety and depression. And I saw my midwife, and she said, you know what? Sometimes the best thing we can do for ourselves is to pick one thing that we're good at and do it. And I said, I, I can't, I've got this newborn, what do you mean? And she said, I don't mean going out and changing the world, I just mean doing a load of towels and folding them just the right way like you like them folded. So I thought about that and I thought, you know what, she has a point. Being able to complete just one little task and do it that perfect way that I like doing it and that I think is just, you know, I'm so proud of making the towels all the same shape and, and size once they're folded. As silly as that may seem, that can help you regain confidence in areas. Lastly, when it comes to finding out the bigger why, sometimes you may not be able to discover it on your own. You may not understand what is the underlying reason for your discouragement because we are very complex human beings and God has made us that way. And I want to suggest to you that it is okay to seek professional help in the form of a counselor. And I feel like that is such a taboo topic in the church I want to suggest to you that it is okay. Just like when we are physically sick, we go to a doctor. If you have emotional problems that you cannot work through on your own, it is okay to go to a professional who has experience in psychology or a psychiatrist. It is okay. 
I will tell you, for the past 20 years, I have dealt with anxiety and depression issues. And it hasn't been until this past year that I started going to a therapist, a counselor. And it has been the most amazing experience. I think a lot of people, when they hear the word counselor or therapist, they think, well, I'm kind of worried because they may, they may steer me in the wrong direction or they may give me the wrong advice. If you are going to a trained professional, most of the time it's not about giving you advice. Most of the time it's about helping you understand you better. That's what I've gained the past year. I have been able to understand my emotions, why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling, and how I can work through those positively. It's helped me be a better Christian to understand myself better. So let's, let's get rid of that taboo and that stigma associated with that. And if you need, if you find yourself in that deep, deep discouraged place and you can't work through it on your own and you have reached out to other people to help you and you just can't seem to get past it, there is no shame at all in seeking medical or professional counseling. All right, let's go through some other ways, though, that we can get through discouragement like quicker, quicker than that whole self-discovery that can take a really long time. First of all, your posture. Fixing your posture can be a quick fix. This may seem very silly, uh, but studies have shown they, that people who are in a bad mood or who are feeling hopeless, when scientists told them to stand up straight with appropriate posture, which is your ears are over your shoulders, your shoulders are over your hips, your feet are spread apart, um, weight is evenly distributed, they immediately told the scientists, rated themselves as having a better mood and a more positive outlook on life within five minutes. Five minutes. So you'll see up here um, the picture on your left is what not to do. And those are some common uh, posture errors that happen um, in society. And then the one on the right shows how to stand correctly. And I know this may seem silly, but why not give it a try? It's not going to hurt anything. Stand up straight when you're starting to feel discouraged. Let's see. Next, gratitude. I think this is fairly obvious. But the best way to chase out a negative, discouraged feeling is to replace it with another feeling such as gratitude. So, I love scientific studies because I think that they really confirm what God has told us. So, you're going to hear a few more in this lesson. But scientists divided three groups of people into group A, group B, and group C. All of these groups were going to receive professional counseling, but group A was told to write a letter of gratitude to someone, to anyone in their life. So they were to express thankfulness in this letter. Group B was told to journal, to keep a journal about what was going on that was good in their lives, but also what was going on that was not so great in their lives. Group C was given no writing activity. What they found was quite astonishing. They found that after four weeks and after 12 weeks, the group that just simply wrote a letter of thankfulness rated their mental health as greatly improved, much more so than group B or group C. And they just wrote one letter. One letter of thankfulness changed their outlook on life. And what's even more astonishing was that three months after this experiment was over, they did MRIs of all three groups, and they saw that group A, that group that wrote that letter of gratitude, had more activity in their medial prefrontal cortex which 
the brain is a mystery to scientists still, but scientists are showing right now that activation in that specific part of the brain is associated with being happy and content in your life. And again, this was three months after the study was over. These are lasting effects. Gratitude has been shown in scientific studies to also release serotonin and dopamine, that thing that makes us feel good. You know, I think it's wonderful to look at these scientific studies because they really confirm the word, don't they? I mean, God is the one who made us. Do you ever wonder why he tells us to be thankful all the time? I think there might be a greater reason. Of course, we, I, I think, obviously, the underlying reason to give thanks and to be appreciative is there. But don't you think God also knew the way our brains work? Don't you think the Lord that created us understands that when we express gratitude, we feel good? 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. There's a reason for it. And I'm thankful that our Lord created us that way. And if only we can understand that a little better and trust him a little more. That some of these things that are commandments that maybe we think that they're just there for whatever reason, we don't quite understand them. You know what? They may have a a real meaning and can really change our lives like this gratitude can. So obviously ways that you can express gratitude, you can write a letter like those people did. You can send a text message. I mean, you all know how to be thankful. I think it's pretty easy. We just have to actually practice doing it. The next way that we can get out of our discouragement is to practice acts of kindness. Here's another science study for you. Scientists found that when people do three acts of kindness within a 24-hour period, that they experience so much more happiness in their own lives than other people who didn't do acts of kindness, but even more so than people who did acts of kindness but spread those acts out. So what they're saying here is if you're going to do some kindness and you, you want to benefit from it too, now I'm not saying that we just do kindness so that we can benefit, but there is a benefit to us. But if you're going to do that so that you feel those benefits, do them in clusters of three. Pick a day and make it intentional and say, I'm going to do at least three. And why stop at three? Do four, five, six, seven. I want you to think about the small ways that you can show kindness to other people. The small ways. And a lot of these are intentional. You have to actually think about it. But once you start doing it, it can become a habit. Uh, for some reason, the shopping carts came up to my mind right away. Because if you have ever been a mother and been to the grocery store with your children, you know that there's a game that you kind of have to play with the shopping carts. When you get out of the car, if you have small children, if you have many children especially, you may be carrying a child, be holding a little kid's hand and have some older kids behind you. And if there's not a shopping cart nearby, you're trying to dash for the nearest shopping cart so you can put the little kids in the shopping cart and the others aren't like running around the parking lot. Or when you're bringing your groceries in, you've unloaded your groceries, you have all these kids with you that you haven't loaded up in the car yet because you don't want to leave them in the car while you take your cart back into the store. So I urge you, if you see a mom who's just parked in the parking lot and you see her start to get out kids, go grab a cart for her. If you see a mom who's unloading groceries, ask her if you can take her cart back for her. How easy of a step that is, and that can be a great way to show kindness. Obviously, letters or text messages, 
sending flowers, not just sending flowers. I actually put this up there because I, I thought of a woman who, at our congregation who she doesn't have a big flower garden, but every once in a while she'll just cut off one stem and bring it to a random person in the congregation. What a great, simple gift that is, but that shows kindness to, to other people and makes you feel good as well. Paying for a coffee stranger. I don't know if you all have been the recipient ever of someone paying for your meal. But wow, that really changes that person's whole day. I've had that happen a couple of times, and it's made me as the recipient just feel blessed and grateful. And wow, what an effect. But in turn, when I have paid for a person's meal, it's had the same effect on me. A simple way to show kindness is post a funny meme on Facebook and tag a person just to let them know that you're thinking of them and to put a smile on their face. And there's all sorts of ways that we can show acts of kindness to other people in the name of Jesus and, and just watch. Watch what happens. Watch the effect on people. I think the most obvious thing that we as Christians should be doing when we're feeling discouraged is to turn to the Lord. Now, I said that's the most obvious thing, but you know what? Sometimes I'm very guilty of not doing obvious things. I remember last time I had the stomach virus, and there's nothing in the world worse than a stomach virus, especially when your kids have the stomach virus too. But I remember I was texting people and saying, please pray for us. I realized, though, about 12 hours into it that I had not stopped to pray myself. Sometimes we forget to do those things that we know as Christians should be second nature, but we just, I don't know, we get wrapped up in the world, we get wrapped up in ourselves, and we just don't do them. Pray for the Lord to help you with your discouragement and to lead you in ways that you can and help yourself and to help others. Immerse yourself in the Word. Look at Romans 15.4. Through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. It says it right there. Something to combat discouragement is the scriptures. Next, get a spiritual eye exam. Now, what in the world do I mean by that? Well, in Romans 12, we read that Paul says that we have to transform our minds, right, by the renewing of our minds. What does that mean? That means we need to shift how we think, and I like to think of it as eyeglasses, that we need to put on a pair of glasses, and one lens is clear so that we can still see the world and see what's going on it. But then the other one is, has like an optical illusion, some sort of lens that is curved upward. So we're keeping an eye on the world. We're keeping the eye on our duties. We're keeping an eye on our family. We're keeping an eye on the, the work here. But then we're also we're thinking and we're hoping and we're dreaming and we're, we're yearning for heaven and what we can do to get there. And lastly, within this category of turning to the Lord, get to work. Work for the Lord. Have you ever had a day where you're bored and that discouragement can just get to you? Now, I don't often have days where I'm bored, but I do know that when I have days where I have any sort of chunk of time where I'm not filling it with something, and if I have a negative feeling or thought, it can ruminate and build and grow. Well, why not replace that dead time, that time where discouragement can take seed, with working for the Lord's church? Lastly, in a way that we can combat discouragement, let's encourage others. Let's encourage others. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.11. 
1 Thessalonians 5.11. Note here, the word says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And then hop down to verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. This is not a suggestion, is it? This is a command that we are to encourage other people. And I pretty much guarantee you that if you focus on encouraging others, it's hard for you to stay discouraged. When I think about encourager, I think about Paul. If you think about all of his epistles, how many of those, I wanted to list like 15 different scripture references here, but how many of those did he just, he contained so many uplifting words to those congregations to encourage them. Let's go ahead and turn together to Ephesians 1.15 so that we can read a little bit more from one of these epistles. Ephesians 1.15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And he continues to go on here. And he's not just teaching about the glories of Christ here. He is encouraging the church in Ephesus. And it's interesting to note that Paul was probably in jail during this time. He was being an encourager even though he was in prison. What a great example Paul was for us in that. Oh, look, we have more. Okay, here's, yes, we do. Um, here's so, some examples, real-life examples, of how we can encourage others, like Paul did. Encourage in the right moment. So right when you think about something that you want to say to encourage someone else, say it or text it. A lot of times, um, I'm guilty of thinking something, especially for my children. I know on the way here yesterday, I was, I was listening to my... How old is she? Eight-year-old. Eight-year-old talked to my four-year-old, and she was being so sweet and kind and gentle. And I was thinking in my brain, Annalie, you're being such a good big sister. But for some reason, I didn't say it right then. I had to tell myself, wait a second, remember, Martha, tomorrow you're talking and you're saying, encourage right in the moment. So I had to kind of give myself a kick and actually open my mouth and say, Annalie, you're being such a great big sister. Do that to yourself. Make a conscious effort of if you're thinking something positive about someone, share it with them. Share it with them. There's no reason to keep from that. Next. Obviously, we see in Hebrews 3.13 to exhort and encourage one another daily. But next, when you introduce someone, add a few words of praise. This can be a great way to boost someone's confidence. And we talked about earlier how having a lack of confidence can lead to discouragement. But for example, let's say that um, I am introducing Marlene to a member at the congregation where we worship. When I am introducing them to each other, I could say, Marlene, this is Paula. Paula, this is Marlene. Or I could say, 
Paula, this is Marlene, who is my wonderful, loving mother-in-law, and she's a great artist, and she's a nurse, and I could, you know, add in a few compliments there, and then I could say vice versa, and I could say, Marlene, this is Paula. She's really great with the kids. The kids love her. And these are all sincere compliments, but in that way, you are boosting their confidence because you're not just sharing a praise with them, you're sharing a praise with someone else, and that can really be a way to encourage one another. Be specific when you offer words of praise. Now, it's great to say, hey, you're doing a great job. But you know what's even better? What really can sink into the heart of people and encourage them? It's when you're specific about it and you give an example. You tell them how you've, they've made a difference in your life or exactly what they're doing that you are so, so excited about. Next. A great way to discourage people is to not show up. And what do I mean by that? Well, there's a lot of instances of this. There's a lot of instances where people put effort into, let's say, putting together a child's birthday party. Now, thankfully, we've never had this happen to us, but I know of a friend who had where they, they got the cake, they did the decorations, they rented the bouncy house, and only one child showed up. Is that not the definition of discouragement? I mean, that's pretty discouraging. But let's take it out of the birthday party arena. Let's put it in the Lord's church. It's discouraging to members who are sitting in the pew, who have made an effort to make it to Bible study, to come to the ladies' days, to attend worship. It's discouraging when they know that there are so many other people around them who have just They didn't care enough to come. That's discouraging. But on the opposite hand, it's encouraging when you do show up. Maybe you've been one of those people in the past who haven't really made the effort to come to Wednesday night Bible classes or Sunday morning Bible classes or something like that. When those people change their mind and start showing up, that is such an encouragement to everyone there. So think about that in your lives, how you can be an encouragement just by showing up. Remember the important dates in people's lives. And simply, what I mean by this is if you know someone is having surgery, don't just tell them a few days before, I hope all goes well. Call or show up, text message them the day they are having surgery. Now, I know a lot of people don't want to be a bother, but how many opportunities have we missed because we don't want to bother other people? When you let people know that you not only are praying for them and want their surgery to go well, but you remembered the day that they're having that surgery, you didn't have to be reminded by that. You remembered it, though. You cared enough to remember. That is so, so encouraging. And then lastly, affirm those positive changes. When you see people making changes in their life for the better, don't be afraid to speak up and say, hey, I noticed you doing this. That is wonderful. That is wonderful. I read in a Max Licato book once a story, I'm pretty sure it was not unique to him, but it was about a man, a farmer, and his horse. Now, this was a poor, poor farmer. His horse was his plow horse as well as his transportation. One day, this horse ran away. The whole village gathered around the man and said, Oh, we are so sorry. We are so devastated for you. I, we just can't believe that your horse ran away. You must be devastated. How are you making it? Aren't you so discouraged? 
And the man said, well, God's not done. And the people said, what? And the man said, God's not done. The people were very confused and they went back to their, to their homes. A few months passed by and his horse returned. And with his horse, there were 12 more wild horses that came with his horse. And the people of the village were rejoicing for this man. They said, now you have 13 horses? Wow, what luck you had. You were so blessed. You were right to not be discouraged. This all worked out. And the man said, yeah, you're, you're right. God was not done. Well, then about a year passed. And this man had one son who worked with him daily on the farm. And his son got into an accident and lost the use of both of his legs. The people of the village again gathered around them and said, Oh, this is devastating. How are you going to get through this? And the man, with the same confidence he had before, said, God's not done. And the people said, Okay, we understand with the horse, but this time you're crazy. And he said, No, God's not done. So several months pass and a war breaks out in the land. You can see where this is going. All of the young men in the land who were able-bodied, were called to war, and it was a bloody battle. And most of the people lost their sons and their brothers and their husbands. But you know what? That man's son did not have to go to war because he had lost the use of his legs. In the village, when they were mourning their sons and daughters and husbands, the village gathered around this man and said, You were right. It was a good thing. You were right. And the man said, I know. God's not done. And I think that's an important lesson for us to remember with our discouragement and with our work here on this earth is that God's not done with us. Think about Peter. Think about when he denied Christ. He must have been so discouraged. But was God done with him? God used him to preach powerful sermons, right? And to lead so many people to the Lord even though he was discouraged at one point. Think about Joseph. Wow. Talk about discouragement. Joseph falling into a pit, being betrayed by his brothers, being sold, being accused of things he didn't do, being put in jail. God wasn't done. God used Joseph, right? He lifted Joseph up out of that position, put him as second only to Pharaoh, and through that experience, Joseph saved thousands of people thousands of people from famine. God was not done. You know, we can look and we can see little snippets in our lives, and if we take them and just see that, it can look so bleak. And maybe it is bleak. Maybe it is bleak. Proverbs says, 24, 16 says, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Now, does that mean everything's going to work out perfectly on this earth? No. But I can tell you that God's not done with us until we keep powering through that discouragement and reach heaven. And that's what this is about, friends, that in heaven there will be no discouragement. But we have to push through here on this earth. We have to do everything we can to resist the devil's tool of discouragement so that we can make it to heaven someday. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that at times we get discouraged and it can be so hard to keep going on.
It can be so hard to not feel sorry for ourselves. It can be so hard to not discourage others. Lord, we pray that you will touch us in a way that we can overcome our discouragement, that we can utilize the tools that you've given us and the knowledge that you've given us through your word. We thank you again for this day and for your son, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.